Welcome to Talking Things Through, a place where we can discuss things that we are curious about, um, a platform in which I can indulge my own curiosities and get to talk to some really cool people. I hope that this place finds you um, well and gives you a little bit of peace and makes you think with the world around you. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, it's your host, Megan, and I am coming on to introduce you to two um, episodes that I have for you about sex educators. I had to do a um, magazine feature for university and I thought why not delve into the world of sex educators. Um, So here are those interviews for you. I would love to hear from you if any of this sparks some thoughts or curiosities for yourself Um, and I hope you enjoy them. This first episode is with a sex educator based out of London, England, Matilda, who goes by the handle at Split Banana. She is part of an organization called Split Banana that um, works with youth and educators um, and administrations to um, ensure inclusive and comprehensive sex ed. Um, So let's tune into that conversation and I hope you enjoy it. There we go. Um, Yeah, if we can just start off by, um, I'll explain a little bit in person about how we're, what I'm doing. I'm part of this course, literary journalism, which is doing, um, you had to choose topic. And I've always been interested in as I've gotten into doula work into reproductive care work um I you know all of these different avenues of education of you know like the the postpartum care and then there's there's like sex education a lot of these reproductive justice kind of flavored things have just become more um present to me and so I thought this was a really great opportunity to indulge my own curiosities with this article and interview some sex educators. I'm interviewing another um, person, uh, Eva, who is a part of um, her Instagram is um, What's My Body Doing? I don't know if you know who they are. I feel like I recognize that handle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so they do um, sex education in Ontario. So, I'm mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure where the article is gonna go, but I thought it would. It, it's an interesting enough topic, and mm-hmm. basically, I have some questions here, and you feel free to just elaborate as much as you want and go wherever you want. It's very free flowing, and and yeah. 
So we'll start with some easy questions. Just like, what's your favorite thing about sex ed? Like, just some easy ones. Yeah. What would you say? I think my favorite thing is that it is an ever evolving space. So there's always more to know. It's not as if it's like, here's the information and that's it. It's like you can always expand on your learning. Um, there's loads of stuff happening in the space. There's always more to learn. There's always more perspectives to kind of be aware of. So I feel like it's it's like ever evolving and like ever growing. And do you feel like that is a personal, it affects you personally as well, that ever-changing, ever-learning um, kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think... It, it just feels like a very expansive topic, not only because things, it evolves, but also because it is related to so many areas of our lives that we might not see the direct relation to at the beginning. We might just think kind of directly like sex ed equals sexual health and that's it. But actually right. sex ed equals gender, equals relationships, equals um, the way that we communicate with one another, the way that we understand our own boundaries. Like, I just feel like it's such a huge, expansive topic. And I find that really exciting. Yeah. And did you know that going into it? Like, um... I guess I knew a bit about the potential of it, because I knew what I didn't get in school and throughout my life. And so I was working kind of in, I knew from a place of my own experience that it could have supported in lots of areas that it didn't support. Um, But I think I didn't understand how huge it was until I started properly working in it and also allowing myself the space and time to really like delve deeper into things. Um, We have as part of uh, my day today, haven't actually done it today, but I will do it today. We have an inspo hour every day. So like every day for an hour, um, Split Banana, like what people who work at Split Banana are able to like read, watch, listen, delve deeper into the space um, and learn more. And that's been really, really useful for me. Because I think so often with jobs, you just end up doing it and Mm. you you either end up like kind of doing the work and like being frontline or you end up doing the research and being academic. And it's hard for those two. Yeah to me so that's yeah we try and allow space for both of those things yeah and what were the first things that you um like a book was it a book was it a conversation that you had with a friend that kind of led you to being a part of this organization found you co-founded it with um one of your other business mates yeah, so I co-founded Split Banana with um, Anna in 2019. And really the reason we co-founded it together was because we were part of a social innovation fellowship called Year Here, which oh, is wow. basically a post-grad in innovation and enterprise based in London. You do like six months on the front line um, in a kind of like GP mental health service, young people service, etc. We were both placed in schools. And you do, you kind of, the whole idea is that you're learning about issues that relate to that context on the front line. So we both saw kind of the lack of sex ed, first of all, in those spaces, but also the fallout and the impacts of that lack of sex ed. So lots of confusion around consent, 
um, seeing the impacts of things like revenge porn and sexting, lots of mm. gendered language, homophobic language, etc. Mm. So we were kind of in those environments realizing how much need there was and the impact of when there wasn't sex ed. And alongside that, there was some UK government guidance due to come out in uh, September 2019, or to come into place in September 2019, which required UK secondary schools to deliver relationship and sex education as mandatory for the first time. So before then, it had not been mandatory, it had been optional. Um, so crazy? there was this so crazy. I know. That's so know. crazy completely optional so obviously that means loads of schools don't end up doing it it gets completely deprioritized um it is yeah completely ignored so that luckily the guidance did get updated and it did begin to start to include some really important things that were never included before things to do with online safety um things to you know talk to ensure talking about different types of family structures queer relationships etc but it still doesn't go far enough. Like there's no mention of pleasure in the entire curriculum. Mm. Um, there's no, there's there's some kind of like weird guidance around like there's these if you if you unpick it bit by bit, which mm. I did with someone in, in in an interview once, there's this stuff around like respecting people in positions of authority <laughs> and like just some kind of weird stuff like that that you're like, right, okay. But they What's snuck in there. Here? Yeah. thinking that no one would actually read that part. yeah yeah, yeah exactly um so it, it hasn't come far enough but at least it is now mandatory um in schools so from that we've seen a huge increase in schools wanting us to help them deliver workshops um and wanting us to help deliver train their teachers and things mm-hmm. like that but obviously there's a huge way to go there are so many schools in the uk there are so many young people in the uk um, and even, the, you know, the latest surveys and reports that are coming from young people asking them how their sex ed has been are still really, you know, the scores are really low. They're really rating it really lowly still. They're still missing out on key topics and that kind mm. of thing. So there's a long way to go. Um, but, yeah, that's why we set it up. It was kind of a clear need, um, a market opportunity and also, right. yeah, a way to we wanted to make you know push it even further than the guidance was requiring it to be and so was it because of this uh was it a fellowship you said was it because of the fellowship that you got that interest into sex education or was it before that that you kind of had you know maybe some books that you read or conversations with friends like where did this inkling start in your in your life can you trace it back to something yeah that is a really good question Um, and I think I definitely can now that I look back I can definitely trace it back Um, probably starting off with an interest in gender Um, Mm. so when I was at school um, when I was doing my A-level so when I was like 16 17 that kind of age had a real interest in gender kind of critiquing like gender stereotypes gender norms but also the existence of gender and the gender binary and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um so I think that's where it started really at school but p- p- probably with a lot of that bit more traditional feminist gender stuff um right. and then at uni I started doing a bit more like unpacking of that um and understanding a bit, bit more about 
different ways to have relationships read this wrote my dissertation on this book called the transformation by juliana i think it's juliana spa about this kind of three-way relationship and like they were all called they and like deconstruction of gender in that so I think I'd always had an interest in relationships and gender as topics mm. um, but then also had always looked back at my sex education and felt very let down and disappointed mm. by the education itself but then also by things that happened to me growing up to do with body shaming to mm. do with like um, pubic hair shaming to do with the fallout of relationships, abusive relationships, that kind of thing, like mm. porn-style penetrative sex, um, heteronormativity, like all of that kind of stuff was going on around me yeah. my whole yeah. growing up and, and in, in the lives of lots of my friends as well. So I'd say that's, that's where the interest stemmed from. And then as I learned more about how much young people were still in need of that when I worked in a school 10 years later, then it right. kind of made sense um and we set up split banana because of that yeah yeah that's um how how it must be kind of healing then to be able to create the curriculum that you kind of wished you had back then do for you and for you obviously you can only speak for yourself but have you seen that in yourself or in the people that you're teaching some sort of I don't know like healing like it's not so much just the mechanics that you're teaching Mm -hmm. it's it can go down like way deeper into who people are and how they see themselves Mm. yeah definitely there's definitely been good recognition from young people who are kind of like yeah come up to us after we do a workshop and just say I'm so grateful that you talked about queer relationships I'm so grateful that you talked about like intimacy within friendships um Mm. and there is definitely that kind of you do get that real yeah sense of satisfaction and relief that you're able to even just you really underestimate the impact of just like saying something once to one young person in one moment about like the existence of trans people um or about um yeah queer relationships or queer sex or sex isn't just penis and vagina and like all of that stuff that um no one said to me when I was uh younger or you know lots of my peers so they're really you're right there is that kind of sense of like gratification um that young people give us and then I'm also grateful to them but there's always more to do as well so there's like there's because everything like I said is ever evolving and ever changing it's also our job to keep up with what they're wanting to know about so that we're not just going off what I didn't you know or what what we didn't learn about from our own experience because things have changed you know even in the last 10 years and there's things that actually we can learn from them and terminology that we need to keep up with from them and um, that kind of thing so it's, it's kind of it's a bit of both I would say yeah yeah and do you find that um kind of hard or exhausting to have to keep up with all of it like because as you were saying like you you need it's hard to be in the field but also be you know keeping up with all of those terms or keeping up with all of the, the research like how do you balance that 
um, in your in your daily life and your work? Yeah, um, I guess just kind of viewing it like a constant, like circular process. So, and also a constantly like evolving and iterative process. So not ever seeing anything as too fixed so if we deliver a workshop on consent and we get some feedback actually we wish you had included that or there were some specific questions about a certain thing then we go away and we make those edits or if one of our facilitators has delivered a workshop and they say actually I think this could have worked better or you should include this so we're kind of constantly developing and I think what makes that easier is that we are such a small organization it's basically okay. me and then we have one part-time member of staff who helps us with communications and then we've got four freelance facilitators so it's not as if you know a lot of this stuff is still very much in our like small container so mm-hmm. I think we are able to be flexible and able to be iterative quite easily as a small organization but I would really hope that that's something that I would if we did grow bigger then that's something I'd really like to keep hold of because I think that's quite that's really important yeah it's that I feel like it's that feedback that's really Mm. important in even just building it into your process as you have that helps you not feel so scattered in Mm -hmm. you know where do I get the information on what is changing and what is not yeah that's really good um I meant to ask at the beginning um your name is it's on your email that's just that's how you spell it I just want to double check because I'm writing an article so I don't want to yes that's how I spell it Matilda Mm -hmm. okay okay and your pronouns if you wouldn't mind just she her her. okay um yeah so we have talked a little bit about your journey to becoming a sex educator I thought this would be a fun question when you were little what would what did you think you would be what were your dreams were you like mine was a hairdresser what 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 did you imagine Mm. you'd be I really wanted to be a farmer a farmer yeah a farmer I really loved horses and animals and I still do but yeah. it's quite funny because I'm vegan and in my head a farmer and I've always been like veggie but in my head a farmer never kind of killed or <laughs> took dairy products from the animals in my head a farmer was just like you looked after the animals in the land and like that was it um so I think that was yeah that that was my dream but I guess my own kind of farmer <laughs> did you did you grow up in London have you always lived in London okay yeah so where did you where did you get all this this farm dreaming from? <laughs> My grandparents lived in the countryside, so I used to go visit okay. them quite a lot. Um, and yeah, maybe it was maybe it was a kind of pushing the boundaries of not wanting to live in a city and stuff like that. But mm. I enjoyed my city life, but I also always loved going to the country. Yeah, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the things that surprised you as you ventured into the sex education world? Like, um, That there is such a huge need and the government are requiring schools to now deliver it. And there is absolutely no funding for it. 
So there's no funding. Governments have not allocated an additional budget to schools to deliver wow. sex ed. So they are having to, you know, reallocate resources and spread themselves even more thinly than they are mm. at the moment. So that's something that definitely surprised me. Another thing, I guess, is that there's not there's not like a traditional route into sex education. There's not really like a career path mm. um, into sex education. I don't know if it's different in Canada and the US, but there's not there's not like a kind of university degree you would take in it um, or a traditional path. You either basically would become a teacher in either a specialist subject or in PHSE, which is like physical health and social education um or you would set up your own organization or work for another organization that delivers it externally but it's still you know there's big charities that have been delivering for a long time places like brook for example um but there's not a huge amount of people in the space doing this work there is now more and more like lots and lots more cropping up yeah in canada it surprised me that there wasn't really a tradition Sorry, you froze. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting you. No, no, I was finished. It's the same. Okay. Yeah, in Canada, it's not. It's not as I've looked into the route. And it's, you know, you can go to school and do like a family, what is it? Family marriage and sex, like degree you can do. But mm-hmm. that's like not totally you know like a linear route or you can yeah. become like a social worker or you could be a nurse that kind of stuff so yeah yeah it's not very linear here as well um i i thought this would be a good question what belief systems or thought processes have you had to work through and expand during doing this work mm-hmm. if anything pops out to you yeah So I think that thing of always speaking from the subjective, I think is really important. So only ever seeing your own kind of experience and perspective as just one of many experiences and perspectives and never Mm. telling people objectively, this is the way to live your life. This is how you should do it. So that's something Mm. that's really important when we do workshops with young people is, um, never promoting one way of living but presenting the fact that there's lots of different options and they each will have different decisions based on their options maybe because of their background their ethnicity their religion etc um and it's not our job to tell them the right thing to choose it's just our job to educate them about the options and empower them to make the decision themselves so i think that's important um at the beginning as well there's been a lot of backlash in the UK surrounding um, LGBTQ education for young people mm. from conservative religious groups um, and parents. So mm. there's been a campaign called the Stop RIC campaign, mm. um, which has, yeah, you know, there's been like protests and demonstrations outside of schools like specific organizations have been targeted that kind of thing because parents don't want their children learning about um lgbtqia plus people sexualities families etc um and at the beginning you know i feel like something that i did work through was at the beginning 
I was like, you know, this is outrageous. Like, how can they? I was very much speaking from my own perspective and feeling very angry about this and, um, you know, thinking that this was, this is, yeah, something that they they don't have a right to be protesting about that kind of thing. And then I think what I guess I've worked through um, over the last few years is understanding that, of course, everyone is coming from a very different place with a very different set of ideals and um, perspectives, whether it's to do with, yeah, like their religion or anything else. Mm-hmm. And I guess on that, we basically talk about, I mean, res- respecting others is like the kind of main headline from that is right. and like that's if, you know, have any disrespecting others behavior, then that's not okay. But I guess what something I've worked through is, is that people are coming from different places with this. Right. Um, right. And I think what we have to understand is that some people do have a distrust of the British education system because mm. of its kind of colonizing impacts across history, because mm. of anti-sodomy laws it brought into countries that it colonized that are still there today, um, but that actually Britain introduced to those countries um, wow. and have, you know, have a huge ripple effect. So, and I understand why there is a distrust of the British education system from particular um, families and communities and religions, etc. So I think that's been something to work through is that kind of cultural sensitivity Mm. um where I basically I can only speak from my own perspective but I have to try to understand where others are coming from so that it's not just you know doors closed like you're wrong it's actually like where does that come from how do we work through that how do we actually get to a place together where we understand how important it is to talk about um, live sexualities experiences in a varied way and how you know amazing and beneficial that is for all young people I think mm. that's something I've worked through um I think anything else please no, I'll just jump guess, in there with a question yeah, for you. yeah yeah um how how did you get the community then because you can do your own work your own work to be that kind of person who seeks to understand and to not dismiss anybody else's um, perspective, but when you go out into the community, how do you um, how do you do that within the community where people probably aren't always coming from that mm-hmm. perspective that you've worked so hard to get to? Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good. Um question I guess the thing with that is always uh you know asking people who do shared who do have those shared lived experiences with those communities um to help facilitate those conversations and do that work so we've got an amazing facilitator called Neelam who really enjoys um she's South Asian and she really enjoys kind of talking to south asian community about the importance of these kinds of issues because she herself says you know there's huge taboos surrounding um things like you know relationships and sex and that kind of thing so i guess using um like the relationships that we already have with people who enjoy doing that work and who actually are far better equipped to have those conversations than i am right um because i don't 
yeah I don't share that same lived experience and I don't I can't speak to those people's experiences of it so I guess helping asking for help from others um in that sense yeah that's great yeah and how I'm interested to know how did you so you and your friend you say Hannah or Anna 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 so you two decided you're going to do this organization how did you start to you know get the word out that you were doing this work and get your connections get your facilitators find those people in the communities that could speak to those things I'm just wondering how the whole thing kind of took hold like I'm in Canada and I found out about you you guys so yeah yeah, I'm so interested to know how that happened was that via Instagram yeah yeah um I don't know if your friend in Montreal is it Laura no no (laughs) that would have been cool then (laughs) that would have been really fun yeah (laughs) um so I guess how it started was so you when we were kind of on this like postgrad fellowship course and um, the first phase is frontline phase where you work on the front line the middle phase is um consultancy where you do like a social impact project um with a group that you feel passionate about so young people for example and then the last phase is venture phase where they support you with lots of different workshops to do with design impact enterprise that kind of thing to kind of help you on your way and to encourage you to launch your social enterprise so it's basically using business for good and like they're trying to give you the tools and skills to do that okay and so after that I guess one of the first things we did was had a crowdfunder event where we it was called crowdbacker and we basically had to pitch our idea in a room full of 300 people and ask for their financial support yeah it was really scary um it was good though and so that was our first kind of bit of funding to allow us um to start testing our ideas and because that's something we really believe in is like you don't you don't know if you've got a viable product or service unless you've tested it like test 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 so we designed like a small version of what it might be in terms of um using creativity to talk about relationships and sex um and so we designed like a workshop that involved like collaging and storyboarding and discussion with young people um, and then we tested it in various places you know in a sixth form in a secondary school that kind of thing and gained at this point there was some technical difficulties um, and our internet went down on, on either end and you will witness our coming back onto internet together um, in the next portion of this interview. Thank you for listening and let's go back to the conversation. Hi. Sorry. I think it's my internet. It's kind of shitty. So It might be mine as well. Mine I mean, if we're in two it. different countries separated by five hours so <laughs> probably that um I'm trying to think, where was I 
yeah talking about testing our workshops and we yeah. delivered a full-length program um and then we did various other stuff so one thing that we really believe in is co-creation so mm. we want to ensure that we're amplifying voices of kind of perspectives that we don't share so communities and people that have been marginalized by the sex ed curriculum so far mm. so we've done these co-creation workshops that we call what i wish i'd known um with the queer community women and non-binary people of color we did one with um people who experienced vulval pain conditions and then we've mm. also got one tomorrow actually um with the disabled community so yeah, it's all that. about yeah it's all about speaking to um people about their experiences of sex ed and how they think they can improve it for other people today so we do those workshops as well which I think as well help to I don't know working with young people is obviously our priority um and kind of transforming yes. young people's lives through sex education but obviously there's so many adults who need support and space to unpack all of this stuff too because we never received mm. it growing up yeah. um and you know we're all kind of low-key traumatized by <laughs> our lack of sex ed and the ripple effects of that and like things that have happened in our own lives. So it's important to us to provide space for adults as well to kind of connect and reflect. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the way that we've been able to kind of share what we do um, and spread what we do throughout. I guess our use of, I don't know, I people have found out about us through the way I don't know maybe we use social media or other people who've been to our trainings um, and workshops I think a lot of it is word of mouth which is great because it means that we often get to work with people who are already bought in who are already really passionate but also we need to be reaching those people who are not bought in and who actually don't believe in the power of sex ed and we need to persuade them but we've done less of that at this moment but we hope to do more of it in the future. I mean, there's only there's only so much you can do b being a small team, too, right? So yeah, in yeah. being a small team, how do you, you know, you have do you have ambitious goals for the for the future, like to grow bigger, or are you? Yeah, like there's a lot that you're talking about that encompasses a lot, but how do you how do you make the steps to work towards it? you know yeah it's a very good question um and kind of through the small bits of funding that we've received so far we've also received consulting support from like leadership mentors and business mentors and that kind of thing so we okay. do have um like our vision our mission and then our objectives of like how we want to get there what we want to do over the next one to three years so okay. you know a few of those surround like building um having a kind of attractive accessible training package for schools made up of resources workshops um and that kind of thing also providing like designing and developing a service for sen schools so special educational needs schools who okay. have been you know one of the most marginalized groups who've been left behind by the rsc curriculum so that's something that we want to if we get funding to do it um co-design a service with an SEN specialist okay um this year that's one of them um create like a pack of memorable resources so resources that schools can really easily 
pick up and use. We've already mm-hmm. got quite a few lesson plans um, and slide decks and that kind of thing that schools can use. But just, I guess that would be a way for us to scale and grow bigger without needing too much people power at the moment. Um, right. But we do, we do want to, we do want to get bigger. It's just all to do with funding. And at the moment, we're like balancing yeah. kind yeah. of limited, limited finances with um, mm-hmm. what's coming in work-wise. So we're kind of going month to month at the moment. But if right. we gained more funding and more sustainable long-term funding, then we would definitely be yeah. keen to expand. And would you say that you um that that you know you do a lot of public speaking and was public speaking when you were like younger and growing up was that something that you liked to do were you always inclined to to do that even like pitching in front of those 300 people like that must have been kind of a stretch for you but you've obviously grown like from where I I have seen you you seem very comfortable was it always uh, like that or is it stretching for you? How did you step yeah. into that? Um, that's good. I've never been asked that question before. So that's a good question. Um, I guess it's not something that I was hugely into at school. Um, it wasn't, yeah, it's not something that I really did very much of. I definitely didn't like drama or like doing anything to do with being <laughs> on stage or anything like that. Um, but it's something that year here the postgrad pushed us to do it kind of like threw Mm. us in the deep end a bit more than I think I'd done so before and then also I think it just helped that I really care about this subject and and what we're doing and so it's I enjoy like speaking from the heart and helping to persuade people about how transformative Mm. sex ed can be so I do actually I enjoy it now like I get I get nervous before and like if I'm doing an assembly with 250 students or whatever I am nervous before but I get a real thrill out of it um, and especially yeah. if someone comes up to you after and says you know that really made an impact on me or I'm so grateful for that and that kind of thing yeah. it really spurs you on um, to do it and I do feel yeah kind of like confident and, and um, comfortable in what we do and so that's why I like speaking about it. Nice. Yeah. What would you say would be the re- like resources that you find you point people to the most? Like, mm. do you point people to books or do you point them to programs? Yeah. What do, um, where do you find you point people? We like to do a mixture. I guess we've always had, um, as an organization internally, but also sending stuff out we always do read watch listen lists as um because we know that people enjoy taking in information in different ways so I don't know if you're signed up to our newsletter but we always recommend something to read watch and listen every month Mm -hmm. um so if I guess if people are it depends who the people are getting in touch as well so books might work for some people you know, we right. always recommend um, this book called Behind Closed Doors by Natalie Fines. That's like a really good history of sex education. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's for young people and schools are looking for kind of short bite-sized videos, then amaze.org is a really great um, kind of platform doing short animated videos. 
and then listen there's like loads and loads of um amazing podcasts the sex ed agenda by decolonizing contraception is a really great Mm. one so um i think depending on the context we would adapt it but i think it's really good to have a range of ways to engage with resources what what are your favorite resources the ones that you have books that you've read that you're like over the moon about now or podcasts that you just binge listen to yeah so i read a really amazing book recently about asexuality mm. by i think it's by angela chen it's called um ace and it's like what asexuality tells us about um desire and relationships and that kind of thing and it was just such an insightful book because it wasn't just about kind of like asexual experience but also just showed us how obsessed our society is generally with Mm. sex um Mm. and yeah just like a really good critique on advertising and on narratives and all of that kind of thing so that was amazing I always recommend that because it's yeah it's about asexuality but it's also about much more um what other stuff do I really like I'm trying to think podcast wise yeah the sex agenda i think it's a really good podcast and um, one for young people that i always tell uh, turn towards is this one called vent weekly which is a podcast by vice and it's made by young people for young people and so okay. there's often topics that they talk about on there that is really useful things like masculinity um, or relationships and consent and so it's really good to hear what young people are saying about these things um, i mean i'm sure moment. that's even helpful for for yeah. your team in yeah. figuring out what is relevant exactly yeah. um so yeah. i find that really useful and i'm trying to think of something what watch now um something that i love but isn't necessarily like what i would direct teachers to or whatever but there's an, there's a series on netflix called explained and they did one all about sex they okay. did one about like kind of birth pregnancy contraception um pleasure and they're like 20 minute episodes um, oh, okay really really good like documentary series so that gives nice. like good snapshots into those things as well nice yeah yeah that brings me to my next question I was just gonna ask about like what do you think of sex in the media like media being advertisements or media being uh like tv shows and movies and that sort of thing what do you think like the impact of it is and are there some positives to it or is it mostly just kind of not a very positive impact that it's making? Mm. I think it's mixed depending on the kind of thing that's being presented and the messages that are behind that. So I think overall um, it can be damaging because a lot of the time sex is objectified a lot of the time bodies are objectified a lot of the time it's women's bodies um and you know nudity and like being in vulnerable positions and not having the upper hand and all of those kinds of things are sexualized and glorified um, Mm. when actually that can be dangerous and I think a lot of the time young people are learning from those damaging sources so whether that be kind of there's a whole spectrum to that there's like mainstream advertising but then there's also kind of like 
social media things that are being sold on social media and then there's also young people learning from like porn um and that kind of space so and I think it's hard I guess when you're seeing sex being sold in like a mainstream level to then detach that from what you're seeing um potentially in porn as well which is far more dangerous so but then also I think it can be super great and super liberating for people who if it is representative um and you know bodies and sex is being shown in a way that hasn't been before if you're seeing queer relationships queer sex if you're seeing brown bodies black bodies if you're seeing things that haven't been um celebrated or represented in media and advertising before then I think it can be really important because representation really matters and yeah. um, I guess it's just exactly what the message is and what the intention is right. and how it makes you feel as well right as a young person right. it's also very complicated isn't it how mm-hmm one thing affects one person one way and it affects someone else an entirely different way completely yeah completely and I think it's up to individuals I guess to decide how they feel about it and whether it makes them feel kind of positive or negative or comfortable or uncomfortable um Mm. but generally yeah I think we always encourage young people to be critical of the media and to be critical of their sources of information, whether that's to do with the places that they've learned about sex or the messages that the media is telling them. So when we have a session on body image, for example, we talk about how the beauty and advertising industries are, you know, billion, million dollar pound industries, which basically make money off people's insecurities. So mm-hmm. one day there's an insecurity, you know, they're feeding off an insecurity about this. And then another day it's an insecurity about this. And certain products feed into harmful narratives. So skin lightening creams feed into racist narratives. Right. Vagina deodorizing sprays feed into misogynistic narratives. So we really encourage them to be critical of the things that they're being sold right. and the ways that they're being sold in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know when you get a question in your head and then you totally forget it the second later? Mm. That's what's going on in my head. Um, (laughs) Did you find it, um, like what influences do you think um, led to your, like were you always comfortable talking about sex or was it like, were you, did you have a few blushing moments here, you know, like, because I'm learning, I'm reading some books that are sex education books because I want to learn a little bit more and I have to like I'm like blushing every once in a while I have to like sit in a a little a hidden away corner in my house I'm still living in my parents house so I'm like I don't I got it on my Kobo I'm like I don't want them to see me like look at the title and be like what are you reading you know so there's just like there's just a little bit because I think there is a little bit of a stigma around talking about sex or learning mm-hmm. about sex or depending on what household you're in um so what was that for you like from like a young age were you were your parents like accepting and open and talking to you about sex and that sort of stuff or yeah I'd love to hear a little bit more about that if you feel comfortable yeah um so my parents were always very open with me. I know that like they had this rule that was basically like if I ever asked a question, they would always tell me the truth. So that mm. meant that, you know, I knew 
what sex was from a very young age I was that person at school who told everyone but equally I also knew that Santa Claus wasn't real from a very young age and I was also that person that told everyone so it can go both ways I think right and but they were always very honest and open and quite matter of fact with me about that kind of thing from a young age but that wasn't to say that I was super open as a teenager with them so when I kind of had sex for the first time or was going through various sexual experiences I would tell them if they like asked or if they had a specific question but it wasn't like you know we chatted about it over the dinner table and I know that if I wanted to they'd be there and I know that's a very like privileged position to be in because not everyone has that with their families but Mm. it wasn't you know it wasn't like super open like a topic we talked about all the time but maybe the fact that I knew that I could probably made me feel kind of more confident with it and I guess in my friendship group growing up as well Mm. we talked about relationships um and you know having sex with partners and stuff but we still never spoke about masturbation like that was just not Mm. something that we spoke about and that we even admitted to doing like it was always like oh well the boys masturbate the girls don't the boys always the girls don't that kind of thing so I think in that respect I was always a bit frustrated by that lack Mm. of communication Mm. around that and then I honestly think it's since setting up Skip Banana and and doing this job and doing it in a very kind of informative work way that has Mm. meant that I feel more comfortable talking about these topics I think that's probably what has enabled me to feel so and I like I guess um yeah I haven't I do have some embarrassment around certain topics but I've never really had that kind of like oh I can't say that word or I can't do that it's always felt it's always come kind of naturally to me and I I don't know why (laughs) it's a good question because I'm kind of like I don't actually know the answer to that but I think Mm. when it's when you're working with young people and you really need to model that kind of you know very straightforward lack of embarrassment this isn't embarrassing we're removing stigma we're removing shame I think that's also helped me me to do that myself on a personal basis for sure sure. Mm. yeah that's it's still it's still tricky I think I mean like I come from a like Christian conservative background so it's like none of these words or any of this stuff was discussed when I was growing up Mm. so it's a little bit like it's liberating for me but it's also like I need to like it got a lot of heat in my face you know so um and that's completely understandable and like I think that's a really good point is like I think it it depends how much unlearning people have to do as well from their own experiences whether that be religion or whether that be family narratives or that kind of thing, it's definitely a lot harder when it hasn't been present kind of in your life growing up when you've actually probably been told like the opposite stuff sometimes. Totally, um, totally. It's a, hard, it's a hard thing to do. So give yourself credit that you're even doing it in the first place because people get to, you know, people don't do this their whole lives. They just kind of like shy away from the entire yeah. topic. Yeah. Do you feel like it's getting easier? 
A little bit, a little bit. This is my second. I read. I don't know if you know this book. It's called Getting It. It's um, what is the author's name? I can't remember the author's name. Um, it's like uh the guide to healthy hot hookups. Okay. Okay. And it. I'm reading um a recommendation I think I got from the Split Banana um one mm-hmm. of sex ed by ruby rare oh yeah i'm reading that book right now right um all on my kobo so i was like i don't know yeah. if i want to sit around and have my parents reading the titles <laughs> and be like what are you reading <laughs> yeah um yeah for me i think it's been liberating to hear other people's i don't know it feels more than sex like it it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like because there's a lot about like self-confidence and um you know getting to know yourself and having um a clear n- knowledge of your intentions and that kind of mm-hmm. thing behind before you even get into that room with that person you know mm-hmm. and so yeah it's I wonder how much of this um, knowledge that you now have, like how do you feel like it's impacted you personally, like in your relationships with other people? Not mm-hmm. even, not even you know, people that you have sex with, but just like mm-hmm. people that you have relationships with. Do you feel like it's impacted you? Yeah, I think you're right because there is so much to understand about your own positionality and where you're coming from and your experiences I think it does help with being able to like understand other people better and communicate with them and respect their boundaries and where they're coming from and their perspectives um and that kind of thing I think I think you're right that is like a really important important thing that has probably changed um in my life and yeah I guess just like a huge part of it is listening Mm. and being able to listen to others and and like properly properly probably listen without you know interrupting and Mm. giving your own perspective and all of that kind of thing so I think it definitely has helped has helped with that yeah yeah um I just have a few more things here um why do you personally maybe we've already covered this but why do you personally think that sex education is important Mm -hmm. and then I have a few another question after that follows up okay um I think it's important because it can completely transform our social and emotional skills So Mm. I think it's a topic that really relates to um, how we communicate with one another, how we make decisions, um, our interpersonal relationships, how we understand the world and society, how we understand discrimination and oppression. Like I really think Mm. it is a subject that completely breaks open our social and emotional relations with one another. And I think for that reason, it deserves space and it deserves us um to have that space to really 
yeah explore it explore it deeper yeah. and it's not to do with you know metrics and data and obviously it's to do with knowledge and you know there are some things that are um knowledge based but i think so much of it is so skills based um and so personal and about understanding our bodies better understanding other people better and having better and healthier relationships so that's why i think it's important i think it, if it's given the time it deserved it will make everyone happier and it will make the world a better place yeah yeah it's um yeah this second question kind of hits it what kind of lasting impacts do you think that good sex education inclusive and comprehensive can have on an individual and a community the community that they're a part of mm. so the individual like understanding yourself better understanding your mind and your body and yes. your relationships with people around you um, and being a kind of better kinder person because of understanding those things better and then as a collective or as a community being able to recognize and challenge discrimination um, mm. on a wider level so within your peer group your community or a wider societal level and understand mm. how discrimination and inequality can manifest and feel really empowered to actually stand up and change that. Mm. Um, and I think that is what the positive impact can be of quality sex ed. Yeah. How do you, how do you, everything is, again, as we said before, like so complex and so intertwined. Do you feel like the creative aspect of your um the organization and the workshops that you do helps mm -hmm. tackle that complexity like break it down yeah. A little. yeah that's a good question um I think it helps to unpack it and process it on an individual level for sure because you when you're busy making something then you are less likely to kind of overanalyze feel embarrassed or kind of critique yourself you're more just giving mm. yourself space to explore um, mm. that topic or that thought um or that kind of thing so I think yeah creativity helps to break down the complexity that's a really good way of putting it <laughs> I'm gonna steal that <laughs> go right ahead I see I see tomorrow there's a post yeah on the... <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> headline news um yeah I think that does make sense um and also it helps as a way to connect with each other as well mm. like everyone's got mm. The capacity for creativity um yeah. on an individual basis and with each other and it's a way that we can connect and collaborate and talk about these things without putting barriers up helps to break yeah. down those barriers yeah yeah that's awesome yeah i that's a, all the questions that i have i was just gonna ask well, actually just one more question what is the general culture um of england like towards sex ed like can you give like a short little two sentence, whatever, like? Yeah, I think overall pretty positive, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we don't have a huge, you know, I think, I think it's mixed. Like England as a place is very mixed. We've got people from 
all backgrounds like religions mm. ethnicities lifestyles etc so of course you're going to have like a hugely mixed perspective on everything but I think there is also at the moment a real shift in understanding of how transformative this subject can be um, mm. and also a real acceptance in kind of young people in their own understanding of like their mental health and their bodies that's been a really mm. positive shift in the last you know however many years like you know you see in the news all the time like there's a mental health crisis amongst our young people and that kind of thing but I also think there's a real understanding of actually what mental health is why it's so important we look after it um and a real passion in young people to do that so I think overall it's positive and the fact that people are aware of how this affects our mental health our physical health um is really important yeah yeah um you're talking about um young like young people and how they're they're kind of leading charge a little bit Mm. what would you say the impact of the tv show sex education has had on you know it's based in britain so what what kind of impact do you see in your in your country on yeah on the young people on the older people who maybe enjoyed the show but were kind of like expanded because of it Mm -hmm. yeah I think super positive young people as a reference point I think it's a positive reference point for young people it talks about lots of issues that have never been discussed on tv before vaginismus um like yeah non-binary identity like you know lots of lots of things that I mean that has been explored on telly but in a mainstream setting not so much right of course there's issues with it like it's you know everyone's extremely traditionally beautiful and and that kind of thing um but I think overall it's had a positive impact and it's an it's an accessible space to learn about topics for young people and it also provides like a good foundation for maybe older audiences who are watching it who are learning from it as well and it's a good it's a good talking point as well between younger and older audiences um, and a good thing to like riff off and learn from for sure yeah well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me um I will probably be going over this conversation and if I have any more yeah it's a dog so cute (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> little arms let's see oh. <laughs> this is so cute which is his is that his back legs I can't, that's I, her, I don't her, her head do you see the pink right there yeah that's yeah, her collar that's... okay <laughs> so cute she's a schnoodle Aww. um she's very cute um and then if I have any more questions, I might need to chat with you in a couple weeks. But mm-hmm. um, other than that, yeah, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. It's been really it's been lovely, lovely chatting, chatting to you. with you. Yeah, and I appreciate your questions. I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed it. And feel free to steal the phrase, and <laughs> you don't need to credit me. <laughs> You'll come and sue me. <laughs> no. So I really, yeah, I feel like you offered some very insightful questions. So as a literary journalist, I think you're doing a good, a good job and you made me feel very comfortable. So thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Yeah. See you you in the too. Talk. Cheers, Megan. Bye.
thanks for tuning in to Talking Things Through. I hope that this episode gave you a few things to think about and that maybe it just filled some time for you as you go about your busy lives. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.